What's happening, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Curious Cats podcast with me, Ricky Spears, and Chris Walton. Today, we sat down with Ash Perrin. Ash founded his own charity called the Flying Seagulls Project, where uh, they are dedicated to spreading laughter and smiles to those in need. So Ash and his team travel the world visiting mostly uh, refugee camps where they'll entertain and play games with the kids and make them laugh, not just the kids, the adults as well, and they'll just bringing a a bit of joy to some pretty bleak situations around the world. Ash is an amazing guy with this amazing selfless pursuit um, and amazing energy as well, really intelligent guy. And we're really grateful to him for coming and speaking to us today uh, and yeah, really behind him in everything that he's doing, uh, particularly his, his book that's coming out in May. So get your hands on a copy of The Real Play Revolution as well. But we'll talk about that more in the podcast. So without further ado, please welcome Ash Perrin. Right, let's jump into it. Ash, thanks a lot for coming coming down, mate. We really appreciate it. Um, I think it's probably best to start with telling us what the um, Flying Seagull Project is, really, for those that don't know you and and want to know what it's all about and what you do, what your mission is. Yeah, um, so the Flying Seagull Project, I, I guess it, it's kind of changed from where, I, it's been 10 years since I started it, and um, the, the notion back then was just to do uh, like art, music and fun stuff for kids who grew up without parents. So it was an orphanage that I was in in Cambodia that really brought home for me just how lucky I'd been. Like I had a quite a normal childhood, you know, normal household in England, and my mum and dad were particularly... You know, my mum worked in healthcare, or whatever, but she was just you know nice, nice parents. But I remember yeah. like things like I don't know making pom poms and doing drawings and getting home from school and there being something to do. Yeah. And I, the stark difference in this orphanage in Cambodia was that uh, that there was it was no one's job to make them happy. It was someone's job to feed them, and it was someone's job to. You were just travelling at the time. Yeah, you? I was just backpacking when I'd gone to meet my sister, and um, yeah. So I mean, it was like you go to this place, you snorkel and you go to an orphanage. And it was as, you know, unashamedly now I'll say it, but it was as clumsy as that. It was, yeah, as, yeah. that's what you do when you're on a gap year thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, when I left, I was just thinking about those kids and I was thinking, um, like, none of them cried. None of them didn't, none of them did normal kid stuff whilst I was there, like emotional kid stuff. So none of them cried in three days, mixed ages. None of them cried. And I thought, why wouldn't you? And I thought, because... Because it's no one's job to hug them if they do. It's no mm. one's job to say well done. It's no one's job to do the stuff that makes you feel good as a kid. Yeah. So I wanted to use my skills, and I've been a clown for years already, um, to kind of deliver caringness, to, to show them that someone cares if they're happy and, and create workshops like spinning plates and walking on a tight wire to make the excuse at the end for me to go, wow, wow, wow. And they're like oh, they did a thing, you know, like anyone who's got kids know the look on their face when the kid brings you a picture they drew and you go, beautiful, they feel that pride. Yeah. So I thought, um, that's how it started. And we did, worked in Romania, um, working with kids who are terminally ill or a uh, form of disability or whatever. And then over the years, it kind of expanded and we realised that, especially within um, the disability uh, groups, there was a lot of, uh, what's the word? There was, it just wasn't very human half the time. Right. Okay, we're much better in this country now. Um, when I first started working in Romania, it was slightly different, and they're much better now. But it was the idea of just like, you're disabled, that's it. So they had like, one girl had Down syndrome, one boy was deaf, one girl had cerebral palsy. They were all the same. Yeah. They have disability and they're in a room. Yeah. And that's it. And it was like, so I, was, I wanted to do a drum workshop, and they said, but they don't understand. 
I said, but when I go quicker, they go quicker. And mm. when I go slower, they go slower. So they do understand, you know. It's, it's just not the understanding that we know. Yeah. So then we moved for a couple of years into really kind of uh, communication and energy exchange-based progress workshops for families with children with disability or in centres. Um, and then more, most recently, uh, it's the refugee crisis. So for the last three years... We've near enough full time now had teams uh, in Greece. We have a team that goes to Calais every two weeks. Uh, we have teams that go to Lebanon on the border of Syria and then down into the Palestinian camps um, down in, near the disputed territory. And that's kind of almost the, the, probably the most powerful realization so far of the skills that we have in that these kids are, um, they have not just not had those things, They've had those things taken yeah. and they've lived not even in, no, there's no one's in, not even in a house, not even with food, not even safe, not even um, immune to violence. And the police, and I'm not bad mouthing Greek police particularly, I'm sure wherever it happened, but the police don't discriminate. Yeah. They'll, they'll shove a family as much as they'll shove a you know, bloke in his 30s. So, right. um, so we realised that those kids, yeah, they needed, they need something to to draw out the childhood. So in a refugee camp, did you say that a lot of them they did used to have these relatively stable lives? Oh yeah, lives. I mean, not all. You know, some of these kids have been born on the road. You know, some of them left six years ago. So you know, a kid who's fourteen, who's really naughty now, and these kids are seriously challenging some of them. You know, their behaviour. He left when he was eight. You know, imagine eight eight years old. One day your mum and dad say we're going, or maybe just your mum and your dad stays. Yeah. You know, people don't often tell that story in the media, but. Oftentimes, it's to do with how much money you can afford to, to pay smugglers. Right. And, and everyone, you know, smugglers, are not human trafficking and smuggling are slightly different. So a family will need to get across the border to get out of, you know, a militia-held part of Syria, right. let's say. Yeah. So they'll pay someone, or they're normally mafia, or there'll be some sort of criminal gang that run the, the smuggling. And if you've only got enough to send two people, who do you send? Right. You know, you send... Mom, Maybe, the, and the dad won't leave. You know, yeah. you, you find it very hard to find a, you know, again, in the press, it's, look at all these single men. But those single men were are teenage boys yeah, who right. became yeah. men on the road. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if you've got enough money, let's say there's me and my wife and I've got a little three-year-old girl and I've got a nine-year-old son and I've got enough money for one of us to go. I ain't going to be my daughter. She's only little. And you know, the things that can happen are slightly worse, although what the guys are going through is comparable. Me and my wife are not going to go and leave the rest of the family. So it makes sense. It's your teenage boy. Yeah. It's your 11-year-old son. He then travels for four years through the most brutal, harshest, getting into Turkey on the bottom of a freight train. I wouldn't have the guts to do that, you know. And then they get into Turkey, and then they're going to work in Turkey, and they might get kidnapped and exploited by factory owners who are using them to do slave labour on the textiles. And then This, is, hap this is happening right now, now yeah, in 2019, all the time. right? Yeah, yeah, it's happening right now. And they will escape. Then if they're lucky, they might earn their way out or they might be earning to pay a smuggler or the smuggler might reach right back into Syria or Afghanistan or Iraq to a family member who then vouches to pay their onward bit. Right. I assume with the like, single men that you're seeing as well, that there must be some circumstances where you say we're like a, a, a unit of four. Is there not times where it would make more sense for the single man to go... To, like if there's going to be anyone who could earn mm. more yeah. money or provide better opportunity, then if you've got like a young son and a young daughter, yeah, it wouldn't make sense. Who else is going to go? You're not going to send your wife or your kid. Exactly. And also, they're all aware. So this is the thing is that everyone has a smartphone. 
the, the people we're working with, the, the families, the communities living in the refugee camps, of course they did. They, they came from Damascus City before the mm. conflict. It was a thriving modern metropolis city. Like yeah. it's not. Yeah. So when you look on and they see, if you can get into England, let's say, uh, through either formal or informal routes or whatever, when the when the doors open, when Merkel said everyone come, and there was that big rush in two thousand and fifteen, if you can get one family member into England then later on there's a chance that you could then claim or ask for reunification which is to bring the family over and you can show that you're earning and whatever yeah so as you say like if you've got a clumsy understanding of that and you've got pressure and you've got enough money for one or you just think i don't know how dangerous it everyone again you see images of moria camp in lesvos and you think i'm not taking my children there mm. but i need to get my children out of here you know it's, it's a real i can't imagine what it'd feel no. like to be that torn there's i think shakespeare i read this thing somewhere which i hate to be so pretentious as to quote shakespeare but <laughs> it was something like a man who takes his family to the to a to the uh, water must truly fear the land so it's like these guys that are taking their you know families or the, the mothers who are grabbing their toddlers and running you've got to be properly scared yeah, right. yeah desperate and desperate, desperate to, yeah. to take to run into the unknown you know we did a, a workshop recently with, uh, it was in England actually, with some um, business types and businessmen and women and there were some company owners and things. And one of the exercises, they said, um, what we were talking about the refugee crisis and I worked there. So one of the exercises I made them do is I, I made them, I blindfolded them and we lined each of us, you know, there was like a V of people and I said, now sprint. Like, what was that? What, you know, we're gonna catch you, we, we've got our arms. I want you to sprint as fast as you can. Not one person could sprint 10 meters blindfolded in, a, in the room. And that's, okay, that's a physical thing, yeah. but like, that's, that's what they're, these families are doing. You're sprinting at survival pace towards absolute pitch black. Yeah. You know, mm. if you're lucky, you might end up in a camp in Greece. Yeah. It's horrible. So anyway, the Blind Seagull Project on the other side of that <clears throat> is I want them to have childhoods. I want them to have a favorite game. Yeah. I want them to take a picture back from an art workshop with us and go, hey, mum, look what I drew. Yeah. You know, I want them to try the trumpet and to hit a drum and one of them to find out they're really good at dancing. You know, I want them to, I can't solve the you know, EU migration policy, though hopefully that's another element of our work by sharing it so much, is to try and put a human angle on this. Like, yeah. these kids are little, they're just little people. Yeah. And they, some of them are, you know, they go to bed and they, if there's a single noise, they, you know, they break down because they've come from a war yeah. and they have memories of air, anti-aircraft. Um, not anti-aircraft, sorry, but, you know, military yeah, yeah. jets and... Yeah. So who, yeah. Sets up, um, who sets up a refugee camp? Different, really. To begin with, they were quite ad hoc, I think, but um, now they're mainly run by, I mean, it's, you know, Greek, Greek municipality and the, and the military often own the land and then there'll be a managing group in there, so it'll be the UN or... Right. There's, a, there's lots and lots, I can't think of all the names now, but um, yeah. yeah, or it'll be run by the military. So, yeah. and they are for layman's terms. I'm, this is making me realise I've never really known much about refugee camps or even this sort of thing that you're saying about is the um, organised crime side of people smuggling mm. that people are earning out of it. But with with the refugee camps, is is people fleeing? Um, obviously, not always war torn, right? Yes, yeah, sometimes it's. Poverty. Sometimes it's. Um, I mean, you know, there's no denying that some people come because there's a chance to move to a more prosperous country. 
right and earn some money and and as, and as unpopular as that is I mean I'm an economic migrant I moved to London because there wasn't the work and the money in Bedford yeah so you know you scale up is yeah but and, and a refugee camp is kind of just a holding well it, it depends again like there's so many different ones you've got in Greece you're, you're, you're there and you're waiting for migration papers which you may or may not get and some of the appointments that the families we've been working with are given like even now a family just messaged me a few days ago and said we've got our appointment I said great when January 2022 and until then they will live in ISA boxes which are like port cabins in a camp and porter cabin is a good camp if you're, you're right, lucky yeah. if you're in a porter cabin but um and then in Moria camp which is on Lesbos or Lesbos this is what we say here but Lesbos is the Greek um you, most people don't even have proper tents right like it's it's, it's a camp Moria is meant for 1500 people maximum like total max capacity I think there's 8,000 or 9,000 there at the moment Wow. But and we signed a deal with Turkey, and that's that's a deal. Like they're not allowed to go to mainland Greece, otherwise the Dublin Amendment, which says they can claim asylum in their first safe country, kicks in. So the deal we had with Turkey is we'd bribe them a billion euros, and then they would stop refugees from crossing the water. And if they did, we can ship them straight back to Turkey, and it's their problem. Right. That's that's the that's the controversial Turkey deal, which. It's horrible. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's disgusting when you're on the ground. And like, I was there just before Christmas for a month. I always go to Lesbos around the kind of autumn, end of autumn, because it gets bleak and people get aggressive. And if you can keep the atmosphere slightly buoyant, it yeah, does. I remember you really... saying, I think it was in your TED talk, you said that there can be quite violent places, these refugees. Yeah, camps. I mean, desperation breeds violence, isn't it? Desperation and fear are basically the two quickest ingredients to, right. to violence. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, this year when I was there, I walked in and there's a place, the camp is behind this kind of barbed wire fence. And then there's what they call the olive grove, which is just an olive grove. It's muddy kind of shelves. And um, yeah, I mean, they've got bits of timber with bits of tarpaulin stretched. You literally, I've said it so many times, but you wouldn't put, if you had a nice bike, if you had a nice push bike, you wouldn't keep it in one of these sheds, one of these shacks. You think, oh, it's going to get wet. Yeah. And they're living in there. And it's like, I thought, or maybe it's just, again, like the, un- the men. <clears throat> 18 to 35 year old men apparently are the least valuable humans on earth so like everyone's like oh, stick them there but it wasn't even them it was the families yeah you know it's like 1500 children living in shacks on a hillside yeah. in the cold and it, if it snows what happens if it snows what do you mean same nothing yeah you know if they're lucky the power stays on and the lights sometimes work right and and what happens about um their meeting how do they eat and again different and in different places so in Moria, there is food that's handed out. Yeah. Um, it Moria, can be sorry? Moria's Lesbos. Right. So some of the camps, it's handed out, and some of them, there's communal kitchens, and they get given cash cards, which allow them to go spend. Um, Greece has just said, I think, a couple of weeks ago, that they are cancelling all cash cards. Right. Like, across the board. And anyone who's been in the country for more than two years will be asked to leave the camp, and they have to provide for themselves. Right. Which is hopefully going to be blocked yeah. because that, I don't know what that even means it's insane but um yes yeah, so there's c- c- communal kitchens or food right but the food is I mean I've, I've eaten the food once yeah and it's only once yeah it was like a literally dry pasta with no vegetables in it and right. that was every day every day every day shit so you know in one respect they're safe and again like you've got to think if you'd rather that then it must be pretty terrible back home yeah. And most of them would love to go home, you know. And people say, again, like, I kind of find it quite difficult when I come back to England because 
we are so far away and our understanding of it is so limited of the idea of like, why don't they go back? And they'd love to. You think like, you know, the, the proud, lovely, proud, yeah, hospitable. Yeah. And one of the, the cornerstones of Syrian culture is hospitality. Imagine, like, especially there's a, a mother we know, um, I won't say her name, but she, she's a mother of one of the kids that we worked with. Her joy in life is to host, is to feed guests, and she's living in a tent. She still did if yeah. we were there. She'd make us tea and she'd make us food, and thankfully really? they've now moved to Stockholm and they've got a flat there, which is fantastic. But, you know, you're robbed of even, mm, you know, yeah. your cultural norm is to welcome any guest into the house and feed them, and you don't have a house and you've got no food. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, absolutely. So, go on, Chris. I've got some questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, like, I, 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 every guest we've had on, it's, it's, it's difficult to get me to stop talking anyway, but every guest we've had on, I've had some, like, background knowledge in what they're talking about. And, and the reason I say I'm embarrassed is that I think I've just shut that out, that that happens. It doesn't... It's not widely reported, though, is it? It doesn't make... Not anymore. No, Syria, no but like does, we but... we live in like we live in such a bubble here, like specifically the southeast, and we've discussed this in the past. Like yeah. even for the UK, it's a bubble. Like, and you know, you, I think the picture that we get of certainly of immigration is just so warped that mm. that it's really difficult to comprehend. Like when you take it right back to like a human level, and you're talking about like you you're an economic migrant that that struck home because like everyone is born the same yeah you know and everyone will die in a variety of ways and we're like there's not much in between that should say that someone it's postcode lottery right Mm. and that's why it's a bit embarrassing is because like i've kind of been like yeah that's happening but i don't need to think about that yeah Yeah. and so when you're talking about it's like shit that this really yeah but it's it's, it's all sort of clever reporting and again like I, I have to be really careful because obviously if, if I'm too, if I put too much emotion in it, I become polemic and kind of go for the cliche as well. But yeah. there, there was something I saw, it was called the refugee crisis. And then after a, a while, like let's say early 2016, they started calling it the migrant crisis. And it was the migrant and the migrant and the migrant rather than the refugee. And the two are different. Right. If you're seeking refuge, it's because you have, you are in danger. So Syria has been in one of the most bloodiest and horrifically fought wars. You know, you've got two different enemies in the sky, unbelievably numbers of, you know, troops on the ground. You're seeking refuge. You're not going, I think I might migrate to England. Yeah, Yeah, as I've heard, it's great. You can get a job on the underground (laughs) picking up litter. No one does that. You know, it's it's different. And then, so you've got to look at, like, migration policy is is absolutely, I'm not, I'm not, again, my friends who listen to this from the, from the organisations will find this annoying, but I, I, I don't believe in no borders now. You know, there's this no borders movement who want all the borders shut down. Like, ideologically, I think nation states and borders are slightly daft and peculiar that we can have a line and then on that, that side of the line, you can go hungry and this side of the line, we won't. But that's another conversation. Yeah. But, um, but what was I at? What was I talking about? That is poly- migrants, right, migrants refugees. Refuge. Yeah, so immigration <laughs> policy shouldn't affect that child being safe. Mm. So as I, I, I say this all the time, like, okay, yeah, but they're Muslims. Okay, well, beyond, that, beyond religion, beyond economics, and beyond politics, is it, and tell, if you can find me the answer, then I'll quit and go and get, get a job as a lorry driver. I'd love to. Nice long drives, it'd be great. <laughs> How does any of that justify why a child is unsafe and having 
such an unhappy childhood that they are... Or no childhood. Or no childhood, yeah. yeah. Such an unhappy early Existence. years yeah. Yeah. that they're going to grow up deeply and irreversibly unwell psychologically. How... Well, I don't understand it. That's what I mean, like... Yeah, yeah but I want Brexit. Yeah, but I don't. Okay, okay, guys, guys. Literally, just in Calais, there are children living in a ditch. And every morning they run. This is now. Every morning they run with whatever they can grab because at a certain time the police come and they tear gas them. And the reason those, that they're there is because England won't take them here. We, we gave millions, I think it's one and a half million, to build a wall. <laughs> I mean, we all laugh at Trump. Yeah. But we built a wall in Calais for a million and a half rather than spending that million and a half taking in and making safe vulnerable children and vulnerable families. Yeah. Because we go, yeah, but they're all they're migrants. It's, it's, you know, I, I, get, I get the idea of being protective over our kids, but what is the point in being protective over your kids if we would bring them up in a society that will knowingly and consciously favour our own children to the point of excessive wealth whilst we are, we are aware of starvation, privation and, and danger for other children? Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't seem prosperous if we're allowed you are, that. You kind of don't even want to be part of that conversation, I guess, with... The immigration and fucking Brexit and and all that. You're, yeah, you're, I don't really mind. I kind of got, I just say like I don't mind. I was on a, I was on a panel recently and it was the discussion was how to achieve unity post Brexit, and it was fucking gun. And I should have said no. It was a lovely yeah, event, but like have, I thought, yeah. why don't I go to that? And it was a, a very left leading event. It was a festival gathering, you know, festival people, and it went on. And each one of them, and I and they won't mind me for saying if they ever hear this, they were angry because they are very strongly felt that Brexit was a bad idea and that we shouldn't go and they said the usual reasons why the people that voted Brexit did bigots and racism blah yeah, blah blah yeah, yeah. and it came to me and I said whilst we're sitting here whilst we're sitting here pointing fingers at each other I know a family that haven't eaten today and they're in Calais so I find this very difficult to engage with like how do we achieve unity post Brexit how do we achieve unity now and why weren't we united pre this Brexit business yeah. and I work with naughty children all the time kids that feel like they haven't got a voice and what they do is anything that will give them the power to be listened to, they'll do. Yeah. So, and, and then they talk about protest votes. Okay, a lot of people do believe in Brexit. So fair play, that's, that's why we have democracy. You can discuss it. Yeah. People who don't who want to do a protest vote, that's because they haven't felt listened to. You know, the country's taken away all their employment, taken away industry, taken away this through the, you know, Thatcher years and what have you. What do you do if no one listens to you? You shout louder. What if you do if, if you see, if I do that, at least I'll catch your attention. You know, how do we get united? Well, we unite in what is Britain? Yeah. Pre, with Brexit or without? What, what, should, what would I like? I'd like us to be a country that does give foreign aid. I think that's fantastic. Mm. That through our profits, we, we want to support starving children in countries we met. Yeah, but we never have anything to do with them. Isn't that even greater? That we care so much as a country that we will help kids we'll never meet. The families yeah. we don't even never know the name of. Yeah. But also, like, yeah, help people when they need it. That's what my mum taught me growing up. That should be British values rather than tying it to kind of Christian values. British values. Help someone who needs it. Give a plate of food if someone's hungry, you know. See a homeless person on the street, help them if you can. Give them a bit of food or let them stay at your house if it's winter and it's snowing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That would be a much better legacy than whichever, whether we go Brexit or not. Yeah. So that, I just, yeah, I do this like I did, you know, I do this sanctimonious <laughs> kind of preachy answer. But, but I guess for you, you're, you're on the front line of it, aren't you? You're... I guess listening to that nonsense about what you said about that panel, it just gets pretty boring pretty quickly because you've, like you said, you've seen literally just over in Calais, kids getting 
two gassed in yeah. the morning and, and well it's just like what, what the end goal anyway okay you're on a panel you're pissed <laughs> off they're all racist and bigots and you're all softy snowflake triggered by blah 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 okay cool well you're all children in a school ground, arguing like kids do. I thought we we're supposed to be fucking pro- progressing somehow. Yeah. I thought we we're trying to build a future where. Yeah, what's the end game? Yeah, yeah we well, sustain. What's your end goal? Do you, do you want to be friends or not? Because if you don't want to be friends, just don't be fucking friends. You don't have to. Just have a punch up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it is frustrating. I have many reasons why, you know, the my feelings towards Europe are different to someone who grew up in. I'm not going to say a northern town, I'll say Portsmouth, why not? Someone who grew up in Portsmouth and has worked in the steel industry. Of course, I'm going to have different feelings towards Europe. So we fucking discuss it, and then we vote. And then we may have to re-vote, maybe, who knows if that's going to happen or not. And then we come to a decision that might be right and might be wrong. Yeah. You know, but whilst all that's going on, our schools have been underfunded, our social services, our police, our doctors, our roads, our hospitals, and all we do is go... Second referendum, Corbyn's a communist. Yeah. <laughs> don't care if he's a communist and don't vote for him. Yeah. Like boring, dogs. isn't it? It is boring. It's fucking boring. Theresa May, yeah, well, fine. Then give it of her. Yeah, yeah. We're going to bring in Rhys Mogg, the man who pro- like campaigns against abortion and yet his company profits off abortion drugs. I don't even know who that is. It's Jacob- just a lot of noise, isn't it? Yeah. Though? Like, it's just a lot of noise. Particularly when you see feels- what is going on in a refugee camp, for example. It's like, yeah, great, sit here and argue. By the way, there's yeah. still thousands upon thousands Or down in Margate. Families. You know, we go down to Margate and we work with kids who have been kicked out of school. It's called NEAT, not in educational training. We go and we run stand-up comedy classes to help them get their confidence. We do games and drama games and circus stuff because they're so unconfident because they've been rejected and they're only 13, 14. Yeah, they're badass. They're badass kids. Why? Probably had a badass parents. Yeah. Why, do, why are they like that? Same, you know, you'll go back and you'll find that some sort of bad luck, trauma, or you know, stumbling block product of you roll on two generations. You've got kids who can't sit in a classroom. What are you going to do with them? Like, kick them out. Yeah, right. So, we work with them, and you think again, whilst you're arguing, why don't you just do like with the Seagull Project? I started it myself, and I'm not a very organized man, I am now, but at the time, it was more just got to do it. <laughs> you know, to get a van, and I wrote a list buy van, get equipment. Go. Spin plates. And yeah, and I told my yeah, and I told my mate Matt about it. He's like, you can't just go to orphanages and do it. I was like, well, we might as well start somewhere. Yeah. Ash. Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Actually, is um, like, now it sounds like a it's a pretty big business, right? Is that right? Wow. Or, or like you saying you've got people in different places at all yeah, times. Yeah, like, it's been a big. You know, growth. who's paying for this? Um. So we have about, I'd say. Just under 300 people that give us a few quid a month. Yeah. Some like literally two, three pounds, some are five or some are tenner. Yeah. Um, and then we do festival performances. So we perform all over the UK from Glastonbury, everywhere else. But um, they, pay us, they pay us to do that because we're good. And then that money goes in the pot. We put on fundraising events through the year. Um, just a bit more. And then most of my teams, most of my team are voluntary. So... You know, our outgoings are small. And the thing is, well, because our, our provision is energy. So yeah. it's like, it's positivity and it's energy. Yeah, I need some equipment, but we don't give it away, the equipment. We use it over and over again. So if I was a doctor, I'd need like 20,000 paracetamol pills, but I'd only need one clown. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah, clown only course, needs one yeah. flight. So it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's cost effective. And we love the road. So we camp and we sleep four to a room and we come. And, and who, um, how many people have you got volunteering? Um, I mean, within a year, we'll probably have 
between 100 and 150 throughout the year. But on any one team, we just keep it kind of five or six. And it's, it's tricky. We don't, we don't want people to come to have a look. Right, yeah, yeah, gotcha. So they've, they've got, got to be... provide some ben, like, addition to the yeah, team. Yeah, and we do a week's training with them first. And I Do you, do you get people like just who aren't like particularly skillful or creative, like just people who are well-meaning that would train for a week? And yeah. me, me, I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm just saying, could I do it? I mean, everybody can do the training. And actually, like whether you've done loads of performance or not is... It's not always relevant. Like one yeah. of our lead guys now, we call him Rockstar Andy. And Rockstar Andy's just, he just love him. He's just a lovable guy. <laughs> he's got lovable energy and the kids just think he's amazing. So, you know, we, we'd done the training. He was pretty good. He's very outgoing. But then we got to a camp. The kids were climbing all over the van. I was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? He's like, Andy, go over there and do something. And I thought, he, he's going to drown. And two minutes later, he, he was just jumping on the spot going, jumping bean. Jumping beans. And all these kids are just jumping up and down with him. Yeah. Saying, jumping beans. I have no idea why that's working. But it but is. That is yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's more, it's more energy. I think a lot of people come thinking that giving a little is enough or being there is enough. Like, but that's where the training week comes in. I demand extreme energy from everybody. Yeah, but that's exhausting. It's totally exhausting. So when you're like at a refugee camp or, or even like in Margate, wherever you are, and you'd like delivering this. They're not sometimes, like, how do I put this? Like, in, in, when people are suffering that much, do you ever get some like backlash or like, like a bit of, bit of defensiveness saying like, we're not really, I, I guess more so from the like older teenagers and adults even is like, this is serious. Mm. Like, we're not here to, we're not, we're not having, it's difficult for them to put a smile on their face yeah. in such dire circumstances. Is that, yeah. Do you get that, or are people just really re- grateful for some respite? I mean, 99.9% of the time, they're just grateful for some respite. And yeah. we, you know, we are, we, we're not, we, we're not clumsy of where we go. Like yeah, if there yeah. was literally a shootout happening, and sometimes when we arrive to a camp, if we see lots of blue lights and they say, oh, they're doing a raid, we'll hang back and we'll go later. Yeah. You know, like we, 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 there's no point in being there for that. But saying that, you know, two and a half years ago, maybe a bit more, on the border of Macedonia was a camp that became known as Idomeni, which is the town it was in. And that was dangerous. That was always edgy. Huge gang fights, kidnappings, police brutality, the lot. And we went every day, six, seven times a day, all the way through, you know, it was 10,000 people in a farm, basically. And everyone was always just cool with it because we are, A, we're good. And that's the thing, like, you have to be, I'm not, I wouldn't go, if I built a house on it and I'm not a builder, the house would be crap and it would fall down. Yeah. It's the same with, like, doing the shows and stuff. You know, I'm, I've been doing it 18 years street performance style so like I know how to read a crowd right, yeah, as yeah. part of my profession so if there's a, a guy who's not looking like he thinks it's funny I won't bother him too much yeah, you know? yeah, yeah of course yeah, yeah. so and, and we got good. our wings working in Roma Gypsy camps in Romania where if your show is rubbish then you might even be in actual danger like they might smash windows or yeah or beat beat yeah I mean it's hard that's the thing I was gonna, like, it's hard to hit you can't really beat me up because I'm a clown. <laughs> so, like, I'm wearing a top hat, I've got a trumpet and a penny farthing. Like, you would have to be psychotic. Have you to... had any, like, really hairy moments? Yeah, yeah, we've had a few hairy moments. We have a safe word, which is chaplain. And if I say chaplain, I mean, like, Charlie Chaplin. We walk without... Que- like, don't question me. If I say chaplain, it just means out. Right. So we just grab our boxes and we tear our way out. But, um, yeah, it's not always possible. In Albania, we're on a mountain in Albania working with some, a settlement there. And this guy just hated me. From the minute I got out of the car, he just hated me. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why. I do know why. I was being noisy and I'm annoying. But he just like, properly despised me. And then I had no idea what he was saying, but little by little, he was getting worse. Yeah. And then 
then we had lunch in this cafe and he, he opened palms, slapped his kid as hard as he could in the face. And both me and Matt, who I was with, we both kind of stood up and it was a bit like, and, I, and he did it looking at us. He did it to provoke yeah. us. It was like, and then I, Matt, Matt, we were, oh, actually, I didn't. I said to him, Matt, chill out. No, we're not, it's not, there's nothing we can do. There's no police for a hundred miles. Yeah. Like, step down. Buried in the mountain. But then we did the show and I just, and I have to say, it sounds mean, but I made him the butt of every joke I could think of. Yeah. And I dominated, like I, Again, like he, and he was getting angry and angry. And at the end of the show, I knew the minute the show ends, we've got to get out of here. Yeah. But whilst the show is on, I've got the whole town laughing with me. And you're kind of protected in that way. Yeah. yeah. But, and I wouldn't have done it if he hadn't been violent to his kid. But generally, you can bring him round. There's a few hairy, like scary, tough guys. But Fucking coward. Yeah, horrible. But I suppose most of the time you're, you go and you're performing to the kids specifically, are you? Yeah, well... We perform. We perform to everybody via the kids. So right, like yeah, the, the adults cool. all come and watch. You know, most of the time you'll have a double line of dads around the back. Yeah, and yeah. Every, every, if you're pissed, like, everything is miserable. Everything yeah. is miserable all the time and always hard. And it's you know it's tough. Yeah. And then my and my magic's pretty good and my yeah. jokes are kind of funny. You know, yeah. like I went to we were in Calais Jungle a couple of years ago and I went to do a show. Um, it was kind of coming towards tea time. And I thought, oh, I'll go to where they line up at the refugee community kitchen, this amazing group that, that feed them every day. Got there, and before I looked up, I don't know why I didn't look up first, I took out my balloon to do a balloon show, which is the babiest of all the baby shows. <laughs> the most babiest is bloody balloons. And it was a line of only men. There was not anybody else. And the line was, you know, 100 weather-beaten, tough-looking guys, and I'm doing a balloon show. <laughs> Did you see it through? But it worked, yeah. I thought, screw it. In for a penny, in for a pound. And, and in the end, I made, like, a pink crown for the biggest, toughest-looking guy, and right. me and another guy had, like, a Peter Pan sword. For, you know, they're up for playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I bet it's a nice relief. How do... When, when you turn up, like, how are you organising people that... Like, how are you getting them that message across that this is a magic show like we're going to entertain you like all non-verbal so I have a big fat rope and the rope do they becomes... know you're coming or are you just no. rocking up well sometimes sometimes not most of the time they don't know yeah, but um, I have a tuba and a penny farthing and bells and we just yalla yalla call them in and yeah do you know it seems to be you know it's, again, yeah. it's, for, it's a boldness but you have to be within a reason so like uh, sorry within a line of kind of consideration. So when we go, there's one camp, for example, lines and lines and lines, like 300, 400 porter cabins. And there's main gaps between them, and then there's thinner gaps. And I never walk down the thinner gap because it's kind of technically looking into there. Yeah, like an invasion. Right. And premise, it feels yeah. too close. So I walk down the middle of the main gap playing the tube. And if I see anyone look out, again, like I just, it's, eye contact is such an incredible tool. Yeah. Yeah. I just down the, you know, put the trombone down. Sometimes I'll do a full salute to the, yeah. if there's a papa or something, I'll go, hey, yeah. mama, you fuck, you fuck, I'm the la. You know, and uh, we just, and those who want to come, and, and, it, and we're quite quick. You know, we don't hang around for ages near their personal spaces. Yeah, yeah. But they're all up for it. They're just all up for it. And even in the Roma camps, it was the same. We used to just drive through. I'd run in my stilts in front of the car, ring a bell and say, hi, the, hi, they've been at your personal spectacle Come for a show. And they're just going to come running. I bet it's so like out of the ordinary for them that it you would be you mm. inquisitive or you yeah, would, yeah. you'd want to see what's going on right and You're then wearing the yeah. bright start... colors and I mean it is a it's a weird phenomenon I have to say that the the kind of knee jerk response to any big crisis is medics and clowns like <laughs> we're not the only ones doing it by any means really? you know like 
there's Clowns Without Borders, who kind of more people have heard of, but there's, there's endless. I'm on a group online, which is Social Circus. It's like a forum. Right. There's 650 of us in this forum group. And that, I mean, it's all over the world, but like, you know, like the first people that race in, there's always a clown. And it's been going on for hundreds of years, you know, in war zones, there's always a clown there, I suppose there is some big stand-up comedy shows in like some of the uh, military camps in mm. Afghanistan and, and stuff like that, isn't there? Yeah, well, even so you think about the war with us, like, I mean, morale, isn't it? Morale can, yeah, yeah. you know, my mum's quite unwell at the minute and she, her health is better on days she feels happier. It's kind yeah. of, the, the link between those two are so, un, you know, uh, what's the word? Indisputable. Yeah. Mm. If, if you feel good, you, if you're happy, your body's better and... Yeah, we we've talked a lot about brain chemistry and that nature, and and you know if if your mind is in a good place, then quite often mm. your body is. And physical activity. I mean, that's the other thing with the show. So all of our show, it's it's not a show like you'd know a show. It's all participatory, like everything all the way through. It's big. I always learn probably twenty set phrases in the language that I'm speaking to. It's harder now because you've got. Arabic, Kurdish, Farsi, you know, countless more. Mm. And if you get the wrong one, then people They're get pissed off. Yeah. So, and actually, like, when you've got all of them, you think, don't bother. So sometimes yeah. I do it in Romanian. Sometimes I do it in mime. Right. But, um, yeah, so a lot of the time, there's, there's complete language barrier. You yeah. just can't. But communication, yeah. I think I said this on the phone to you when we spoke, communication is 80% non-verbal. Yeah. It's only, the, the words we use are the tiniest bit. That's why, like, I find it funny. Go, no, take me at my word. I, listen to what I'm saying. No, I'm not listening. I will feel what you're telling me yeah. rather than listen to what you're saying because you can just lie. Yeah. You know, yeah. tell people oh, it's going to be okay. I think, well, you look like it's, it's like your not. missus knowing that you're not listening to her when she's talking <laughs> to you. Yeah, yeah, I've never had that, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She can't hear you saying. That's no, true. But I mean, you know, you, when, yeah. when you walk into a room, let's say if you two had had a row before I arrived, I'd feel it before yeah. anything yeah. was said. Like, you can feel an energy in a room. And oh. that's why it's so important when we go into the camps. That we do go big. We don't tiptoe in and say, "Is it okay, okay if we, yeah. um, you know, like we're ready to shoot it dead if if, it, if it's going wrong or if we're pissing anyone off?" But we've got to go big. We've got to transform the atmosphere with mm. with that energy. You know, this is like, "Hey, give yeah. fuck!" And yeah. everyone in you know, a big smile and a big noise, and they haven't seen anyone for a while doing extravagant. Yeah. You know, yeah. so big fat smiles and it's there. And also, like they know we're there for their kids. They know that we are there to make their kids laugh. They don't think of us as a charity or something, so. Do you ever find it difficult to, like, because obviously your behavior is a product of your moods as well, like, so if you're like, if you're having a down day, I don't know, it doesn't mm. seem like you'd have many, but like, if, oh, you, if, you, if yeah, everyone's <laughs> going through their own battles, right? So if you're having a tough day, is it difficult to like, get that like sort of gusto and like um, smile on your face and do you know what? I pick it, other people up? Before and after, immediately before and after a show, it can be. But in just it, it's not because now. the thing, you know, the thing that, the, again, people often ask me, is it hard to do the work, not just when your own mood's down, but in general. And it's like, the world is horrific that, it, that there are these situations. And, it, and that makes me feel like super heartbroken and really depressed and really, you know, spun out, unable to interact normally some of the time. Mm. But the moments when we're delivering the show is the moment where we're remedying that. It's where, it's where we're trying, we're actively doing our version of a solution. So like, if I'm feeling low and down, actually like being, being useful and using my professional skills really for like the purest, most selflessly beneficial to society that I can think of is, yeah, it counteracts it. Yeah. It's very hard also because they're going through worse than us. 
Yeah. That's the bottom line. You just think dry your eyes sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You can get through. And then you also, if, if, you know, I guess I'm 18 years of doing it, you can just fake it. Yeah. Like I did, I remember one show in Romania. I went and set the stage up, walked back to the van just to lock it. My phone was going. It was my brother. I was like, I can't talk, man. I'm just about to do a show. He said, Mum's in the hospital. She's had a heart attack and she's got meningitis. I'm like, uh, <laughs> and then that's like, and you go, what'd you do? What'd you do? It's like, I can't talk. Then now I'll call you back. And like, there's 50 kids with, you know, severe disability waiting for me. I've set the stage up. Three of my team are in there. Mm. Yeah. What can you do? So I just went in and went, you guys start. Just need a minute. So I just kind of faked it. Fake it till you make it. And then yeah. get the job done. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's accepting, isn't it? It's accepting the, you know, life's tough some days. Yeah, rolling with the punches. Yeah. And what do can you, you do? Do you leave... Do you leave the camps or the orphanages wherever it is you're working generally uplifted or? No. No, I mean, I mean, like, the work uplifts them is our hope. And that, it doesn't feel good, but that feels meaningful. Yeah. But no, like, the, every time we're coming back now, it's harder and harder. You feel awful. Yeah. Because I, you know, I go home and I, I don't feel guilty about it. But, like, I know that when I say goodbye to my friend Tony, he's, again, he's in Germany now, but there was a time, Tony was about my age, maybe a bit older. He's an artist. He had long hair. The other fellas picked on him. Um, he'd always help us with cinema night. And the kids kind of picked on him a bit too, but liked him. And then we'd get to the end of the day and I'd go, okay, see you then. He'd go, see ya. And actually, suddenly we're not mates. Yeah. Tony's going to go back to that tent that's you know, leaking and mouldy. And I'm going to an Airbnb and I'm going to put the heating on and probably have a shower. Yeah. Do you know, and it's like, that's where I find it hard. Not that I want, that I feel guilty from where I'm at but that I feel the injustice of where they are. Like, it's yeah, not that I yeah. want less. I want them, them to, have more, to have more. Yeah, yeah. So, but you are doing your part in in making their lives a little bit happier along the way, I guess, aren't they? Aren't yeah. How, how long, like, a typical year, I mean, how long would you be spending there and, like, actually in the camps mm. as opposed to, like, here doing, like, organising and running of the business yeah. in general? I mean, typical years are... A, a moot phrase for us because right. I, can't, I can't think of a typical year okay. but like for example last year uh, I had January off and then February I was in Bangladesh February and March and then I was in Greece I went straight to Greece from Bangladesh and then I was in Lebanon for two months so that was all in camps and then I came back uh, um, for a week got the festivals ready then I was on the road I did festivals every weekend for 11 weekends and that's like, we go on a Wednesday, set up Thursday, perform Friday, set the Sunday, pat down Monday, spend Tuesday trying to find our brains and then mm. do it again. And then we drove straight back out to Greece and spent the remainder of the year. Do you so do most this, of the year is on the ground. Are you doing this, like, have you got like a core team of staff? Like, have you yeah. got, yeah, so you're not just like on your own and having different people join, different volunteers throughout yeah, the year. You've no. got like, people who are with you the whole time. We have, we have four team leaders, me and three others. Right. And then we ha we've just now started to then recruit our, what we call our apprentices. So we've kind of chosen a couple of people that we want to be our core team. Yeah. And then we have the new people come and go. Good. But, um, but even that, like, this is, yeah, it's, it's all just picked up pace. It's picked up momentum. And, and I think lots of us are tired. I'm actually not going to, I was just saying to you, I'm living in Brighton for a couple of months, you know, mm. I haven't gone on the projects the beginning of this year. I, and that was a conscious choice. I said, like, I'm, I'm finding I'm tired and I'm waking yeah. up and I don't feel like I did one show in Greece the other week and I thought I was going to throw up. But it wasn't because I'm physically unfit. It was just I need a little bit of clearing out time. But, um, but it's just we, we're needed now. You know, that's, yeah. that's why we keep doing it now. Like, I don't know when this will end. I hope it ends soon. And, and again, people say, oh, is it must be, you know, do you love being there? It's like, absolutely not. 
I want to come home. I want my own kids' TV show. I want to make loads of money and have a speedboat. Yeah. I'm like, no, like, of course I do. Yeah. yeah. But until those kids aren't, don't feel like they're nothing. You know, I don't want them to wake <laughs> up in the morning and feel like they're nothing. And when we go, they don't feel like they're nothing because they know we came for them. Yeah. And if, it, if that's all we can offer. Has it made you, um, like when you were back here and you, like when we're, you, you see like families and children with excess, like with much more than they need, mm. has it made you a bit, um, like when you see people whinging about like the everyday like nonsense that means nothing, has it made you a bit like harsher towards that? Like, do you feel like... No, I'm... I think I find I find that challenging, but I don't. There's no blame involved. Like, actually, I'm, I'm quite envious sometimes. Like, you know, my, I'm not of their. I don't mean the stuff, but like when you see them like worrying and faffing about tiny things. Like, where's my? I don't know. Every no. kid's obsessed with their whatever it is, iPad or yeah, something. Yeah. Like, where's my iPad? You kind of oh, it's in there somewhere. Like, I quite I quite I find it very charming to see a family have their niggles and jiggles. I just yeah. as I said I kind of that's, I wish they did that. Yeah, that's that's more. So right, yeah. I do find it. Likewise, it's not there. It's not the children's no. fault, and it's not even here, anyone else's yeah. fault. You know, like we, we've we've created we, this yeah. bizarre, you know, disbalanced set of scales we're living in. Yeah. So like our kids are playing on computer games that were made by kids in Indonesia. Uh, we're using our kids are asking for phones and tablets, the microscopic parts which were made by children in some other place. You know, so you think it's weird that we've got. Yeah, children making stuff for other children yeah. and is but but it's it, it's the entire picture. There's you know human nature is is inclusive of wonderful joyful things like love and generosity and creativity and passion and those things. But it's also we're all bit selfish, bit ignorant, bit reactive. Mm. And, it's prone like, to, and, and prone we want to war. we get we and we we are we a bit bullying we're a bit like dogs, aren't we? Like when we when we are on top, yeah, we know, and we we're, we're right now we are on top. We can enslave people to make carpets and clothing and you know and we and we make what i think where i really do, where i struggle and where i do say something because i am aware that i i try i don't want to pick fights with people yeah and i do find it hard to interact on the same level the, the connection between me and normal normal people and me <laughs> and my mates who kind of live more mainstream lives it is a bit strange and actually it's quite lonely and i miss them a bit i think like I wish I could bridge that gap so it's yeah. more it's more caring about what they're doing if he says i'm having a bad day at work in your head, like go. What's happening in your bad day at work? Like giving a shit about little yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they say things like making a joke about Primark being made by kids, if for example, if they'll go, oh yeah, probably made by <laughs> slaves or something. Like that's that is a time when I think it's it's one thing to be ignorant. It's another thing to care, but know you're stuck in a system. But we, I don't think we can ever laugh or make a joke at the fact that we've enslaved half the world. To fatten up and plump up the other half. Like one thing we we um like uh, the earlier last year, we put together a a project here that we sold called Twenty Eight Days Better, which was a twenty eight day workout plan and nutrition plan to help people lose fat. Um, and the money all went to Action Against Hunger. Oh, nice. And um, the idea, the premise behind that was that like there's two billion people in the world who are dying from eating too much and mm. a billion people who are dying from not eating enough, which is fucking mental. Yeah, mental. That, that, that for me was like, and, and we still run this project now and all of the money, because for us, once we built that as a, once we did the workouts, put the nutrition plan together, that we don't need that. Like the, mm. all of the money can go to them. And um, like the, the idea behind something like that was 
we spend all of this money and um, certainly for children, they, they have all this money spent on their food and that's having the worst possible effect on their health. Yeah. Um, you know, 60 odd percent of British children now obese or overweight, 60%. which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and they have no real say in that. Like mm. a, an obese child, that is entirely the parent's fault. Yeah. There's no, there's no two ways about it. You're six hundred percent more likely to be an obese child if both of your parents are obese. Six hundred percent. Right. And then, so that that huge disparity between those that are dying from eating too little and those that are dying to eating too much. For us, we thought if we can put this together, then perhaps mm. we could make a difference, however small. So it'd be really interesting to pick your brains about how you could get that message out to more yeah. people. Yeah, because um, it is that, isn't it? It is that, and, and I think that's why at the moment we're doing, I said we're doing well is a weird phrase, but like why we're, we're more uh, well-known and people want to support us a lot more at the minute is because we have tried to, I've tried to stay away from the politics and like I said earlier, like going, you know, it's like, I, I want kids, to, and when I say like, I want kids to have a favourite game, that sometimes hits home for people. Yeah. Being like, I ask your kid what their favourite game is. Like, I ask these kids sometimes, they don't know one. They don't yeah. even know one. Yeah. So yeah. you think like, it's that idea of, Exactly as you say, you know, we've got our kids who are overstimulated yeah. in some ways and, and get like crazy. And then these others who are depressed and, and lonely and bored and un, and untended uh, to in that way. Yeah, yeah. But even the stuff we're doing now. So I've, I've written a book which comes out next month, which is called The Real Play Revolution. And it's aimed at, it's aimed at UK people. UK people? It's aimed UK at... Peeps. It's released in the UK and America and all over the place. But I mean, it's, it's, it's aimed for, let's say, more mainstream families. And it's the idea of returning to a kind of slightly more traditional and physical play model. Yeah. And why? So I was like, things like, we can be quirky and funny, but like, if I think back to my childhood, I, yeah, I, I had a SNES. It was great. Yeah. But like, you and me it's both. not my favourite thing. I mean, Mario Kart that's, that's couldn't beat me if I was Luigi. But wasn't that attached to it, right? No, it was all right. But like, my mum would be like, it would be things like you'd hear guys come in now it's raining you'd hear that mm. now it's come on guys go out it's sunny yeah, yeah and it's yeah. not all of them and obviously lots of there are many parents and many families that are already doing this sort of thing but it's like i remember playing camping games i remember my mom and dad did this thing called black magic where i'd go out or one of them would go out and i'd pick an item you know that one and they come back in and then my dad will go is it the bottle is it the computer and then he picks something black and the next thing he says is the thing. But they'd do this kind of funny dance. My mum would whisper it down a stick. And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. that silly shit. That yeah, yeah, nice... Yeah. We, we, we weren't wealthy. We didn't have loads of stuff. You know, we had a SNES two years after everyone else had a SNES. Fine. Yeah. But like, we didn't have loads of tech and loads of stuff. None of us did. Because it we, wasn't around either. But we had fun. You were happy. We yeah. used to play a game where we would put, like... I think it was my dad and brother that would do this. They would put, like, loads of different items, like, on the floor... We're talking like 30 different things. Could be keys, like a bottle, like a game or whatever it might be. Then cover it with a towel. Then you've got five seconds. To memorise it. The towel off, memorise it, back on. I'd play that now. I'd play that now. <laughs> I'd play be it. awful at it. I can't even remember what's on this desk and I'm looking at it. But do you know what anyway, I mean? Like, I'm it's... just throwing out there if anyone <laughs> wants to fill their afternoon. That is a great game. It's, yeah. not, it's not in my book though. So... No, but that's... Real, you know, sorry, Real Play Revolution. The Real Play Revolution, when, yeah. when does that come out? May the 14th. But in it, it talks about the essentiality, really, of personality. So in, in the, when you talk about like, there's human rights, the Bill of Human Rights, and all the rights of, um, and there's rights of a child, and the rights of a child are really interesting. I recommend anyone, the UN Convention on the Rights of a Child, but then there's the rights of a child to play. And you think, like, if, there's, if the UN have done this, 
they've spent millions on people sitting and talking and and it's brilliant i didn't even realize we were working in the, the framework of it until i read it and went well there you go it's common it must be common sense because half of it we'd already done ourselves yeah but one of them is to do with provision that uh i think it's to do with education and, and recreation but it talks about that caters to their personality and that's important like yeah. especially now we you know we do have bigger populations we do have larger classroom sizes and state schools and stuff and you know I, I didn't get on very well in school because I had a personality. I didn't. I just didn't give a shit about the academia. I wasn't. My, my attention span's quite short anyway. And I wanted to do sport and drama and music and more sport and more drama and more you know physical stuff. Yeah. And I, had I not been considered naughty, I probably could have done really well if they'd catered or at least considered the slight nuances to our kids' personalities and to yeah. my personality. But it's yeah. not. It's like you do this or you're out. And I mean, schools have changed again. But even in the idea of of developing personality through memorizing, you know, that game where you memorize mm. or the game where you make a treehouse. If you make a treehouse, it could be that you're developing the skills to be an engineer. You know, my nephew does, he's getting much, much better now, but for a little while he wasn't doing great in school. But I remember at three years old, I came downstairs once and he dismantled seven torches to their absolute, you know, <laughs> pro, elemental have, have pieces. Have schools changed yeah. that now? I don't know. Like, I don't know either. Because I, I think that was like, when we were at school, like we've talked about ADHD quite a lot on the podcast, mm. and um, when I was at school, it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. So you were just like, a naughty, you, I you, was just a naughty kid. Yeah, because like, you wouldn't sit down and do your work. It's like that was that was deaf to you, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. But it works the other way as well. Like the kids that don't want to go and run about and play PE, then mm. there's games and and joyful things they they physical things they probably want to do, but it might not be wrestling with this other nutter kid who's trying yeah. to who's yeah. trying to take him down the whole time and i know? get it as well like you can't have you know that there, there i can there is a need for a for a centralized syllabus there has to be like because you, you 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 can't have every different kid deciding what they want to do yeah but allowing at least accepting that they might enjoy and thrive more in one and not enjoy and do less in another yeah. and that doesn't mean they're naughty like i wasn't naughty in science i was disinterested and it and it didn't you know, and I, I haven't got ADD, but there's, I, there's definitely elements of I'm definitely hyperactive and I'm in an attention deficit to a tiny degree. I mean, ADD is a specific thing which mm. most of us don't have, but I do feel uncomfortable. I remember like it's like a, I feel like a cloud of frustration when I'm bored. It's not mm. just like I know I'm a bit bored. It's like it well, it's a, charges. It's a scale, though, isn't it? We spoke about this before because Chris is pretty, pretty up there on the scale. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people would. Is um, it a scale? Well, yeah, so you you, could, you, everyone's on that scale, I guess, to some degree. Is that like uh, on one end of the scale, people would have everything in order and know where all of their belongings are and not forget like arbitrary things yeah. and could concentrate and listen to other people for a long time and don't have like that constant like cogs going in their brain. And then on the other end of the scale, it's like just frantic, like. Yeah. Mm. Waiting for your turn to talk. No idea where any of your belongings are. <laughs> like just forgetting your whole schedule. Yeah. So I think everyone has. I, I don't think that that is a, a disorder. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I think quite. It's it's probably over. Yeah. Like diagnosed now. But it's being told as well. It's being told that you're wrong. Like telling a kid you're wrong. You know how you are. It's mm. wrong. Yeah. Like I, I wasn't. I was not a bad kid. Yeah. But I was told I was wrong loads in school I was always kicked out of class and I remember yeah. even then thinking 
but I'm not one of the bad kids. Yeah, like, yeah. I really no, wasn't. I'm trying. Yeah. Yes, and I now, did just throw a brick for a window, but I'm yeah, not that bad. Yeah, so I taught the <laughs> science lab, but you shouldn't have messed with me. I took a shit in the sink. But, but no, like, <laughs> if you can find, if you can find someone that then, like, I've found what I do now. You know, I can do four or five rip roaring, energetic shows, like, and people go, you know, and, it, and it's great. And I go into that emergency danger reserves of energy, and I think, oh, if I use this pool. I'm going to go a bit manic later. Mm. Do it. Do it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Doing it. Doing so, it. So you do it and like, you know, looking around at this place, like, you know, so you, you find a place for your energy where it's ground, where, where it finds a natural home. Yeah. But telling kids they're wrong has got to be the stupidest and slowest way to help progress. Mm. And again, like in, in the book, it's been cut out actually, but there was a section that should have been in there. Um, they asked for 40,000 words and being hyperactive, I gave them 85,000 and they trimmed half down. <laughs> But um, one of them was about the river. So it's the idea of going with the flow. Like if you imagine every life starts as a little trickle of water and then as it broadens, broadening is like everything you learn, everything you know, every relationship you have, every friendship, blah, 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 blah. And then if you're lucky, there's no obstacles and it's just a smooth path and you end up in a nice, placid, kind of slow flowing lake type thing. But you're probably going to have some rocks and the bigger the rock, the rougher it ends the water being. So like these kids now that I'm working with, for example, pretty decent rock your house gets destroyed and your village is gone now yeah. and you're fleeing with your family. That, that is some That's pretty rock, serious yeah. rock. rock. So then the water's rough and you can't then go into the water five years down the road when it's more rocks, displacement, hunger, fearful, that moment, this moment, you can't find your brother. You know, all those traumas that have continuously, continuously happened to these kids in, at that time, they are like white water rapids. Of course they are, emotionally mm. and you know, spiritually, whatever you want to say it. So you can't go and stand in the middle and go, stop, stop it. Hey, hey, sit down. We're going to do an English class. Yeah. You know, yeah. They can't. These kids don't even half the time have, some of them have never even been to school a moment in their life. So yeah. day one can't be sit down. Let's start with the alphabet. No. Day one should be with us. And it has been with us. This is how you form a circle together without fighting. Mm. And so like, we really have simple goals. The first one is I would like all the children to opt to choose to join our circle. I'm not, no one has to, because I'm not, I'm not an authority figure. They don't have to, but I want them to choose to join. And then it's like, okay, they all joined. That might take a week. Second oh, really? week, I would like them all to vocally join in at some point. That's it. Not all the songs, not all the games, something. And then like, you set this thing, and, and that's kind of bringing them back into what might be a community. And then that community might explore education, you know social events and whatever romances healthy relationships healthy mm. friendships but none of that comes if it's if you haven't sorted out your white water yeah and again like you've got these kids in school getting told they're wrong for what because there's been an obstacle because their water flows at a different speed to the other kids you know no mm. rivers the same no streams the same i'm i think faster than my mate so why have i got to do it at his speed yeah or why has he got to do it at my speed and be thick if he doesn't yeah we're just all it's different. also quite empowering for kids to not like to just not be told they're wrong and like just mm. because they're different right yeah we only have one rule no violence yeah and that's it and they get they get one warning and then they're gone and i say like you have to go but tomorrow you can come back and every day like we ne it's never a lifetime ban it never spans more than that session and it's only because i want everyone to be safe yeah, yeah. and i explain it because i'm sorry i've you know I, I did weird English. <laughs> Sorry, but no. Violence is no good. It's not good. Today, finish. Finish. No, 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 no. Uh, uh. No, today go. No, today finish. Tomorrow, you come. 
This Bravo. is in Margate. Excuse me, speak to us normally. Does it take a while to get some of them out their shell then? Longer oh, yeah. Than, longer than that. Right. Yeah, loads. Some of them just, and also like, they'll, they'll be doing good and then they'll go quiet again. Really? Like really, we had a girl just after Christmas, not this year, the year before, and she just went quiet. She'd always been a bit on the edge. She was a bit older, a um, bit on the edge of the group and what have you. And then she just went silent, didn't speak for like a few weeks to us at least. And then I was like, right, I've got to go and talk to her. I've got to what's, figure what's this out. Was a bit older, like teens? Or? 12, yeah. 11, 12. Okay. But also like, we, we have to maintain a very clear relationship. Like we are not therapists. We're not psychologists. We're not mm. teachers. A, because we're not professionally, but also B, I don't want to be that. I yeah. want to be your imaginary drop dead Fred, mad best friend who's always got incredibly fun new toys to come out like yeah. unicycles. What's that? A bouncy castle. What the hell is that? Mine. They are sumo <laughs> wrestlers. We've got sumo wrestling suits. So when it's really like when it's been windy, because the weather affects me, if it's windy, they get all restless. Right. We take the sumo in and they get to let out all of that visceral aggression in these huge round sumo suits where no one can be hurt. Yeah. But yet they can pummel each other or they can try. <laughs> I've never had a go in one of those suits. They look wicked. They tie you out as well. We yeah, should start a new a new exercise new workout fad. Plan. Yeah, new Sumo franchise. Yeah. yeah, you get resistant bands. Sumo, Sumo, Sumo resistance circuit. <laughs> Watch out, Barry's boot camp. We're on to you. But yeah, so it can take well. Anyway, when when I did speak to her, I got the guitar out and I just said like we were doing a free playing, and I was like, do you want to have a go on the guitar? So, and it turned out, anyway, she's sad because it had been Christmas and she was with her distant uncle because the other thing that happened, a bit of history, is that when, they, uh, when the refugee crisis in 2015, when there were so many people crossing, when the border was closed, it closed then. So if your son and your wife were getting water from that stand and you'd gone back to get the train ticket, it might be that you don't see them for another four years. Fucking hell. And, and that's what the reunification process is. So, right. But that can take years, like years and years. So she had been following with the uncle, like a distant uncle and the rest of the family, two days later. So her mum, her dad, and her three siblings are all in England. Oh, and I think they're in Germany, sorry. And she's in Greece. And it was two years before they reunited her. So she, she was 10 when she was separated from her family. And she'd written, I said, but your uncle? She's like, he's an uncle, but in, I don't know him really. Yeah. It's just, you know, distant family. So... That's why she'd gone quiet. She's um, she was, she ten, celebrate Christmas. Ten year old girl, twelve year old girl. I mean, come yeah. on. Ten, yeah. ten until twelve. Those two years, nothing. Such like formative years for mm. a child as well. That that's. And she knew as well. And also, like, I know so. this sounds a bit weird, but I thought it'd almost be better if all three kids were separate. But to know that your two little brothers and your sister have got your mum and dad, yeah. but you don't get to have. Oh, no, no, I don't know if that had come into her head even, but I was just thinking, oh, there was four of us, I remember like, anything they had, I wanted. Like, How yeah. come he got that? Yeah. How come he got yeah. a penguin? Yeah. I want a penguin. You know, imagine if you think that Christmas, when you laid down after the Christmas party that everyone put on, even though you don't celebrate Christmas, there was a big party, and you know somewhere else that your three brothers and sisters are laying down with your mum and dad and That's, you're not that, probably I mean, it's, a lonelier place to be is it no and that damage is not fixed quick no no you're you know? absolutely right so then, then she said will you teach me guitar so that when I get there I can play it for my dad I was like let's do it <laughs> I mean she learned three chords but like even Hotel to have something positive yeah. like to move on to when I yeah. I think she knows how to play No Woman No Cry but then the skin of Freebird That's <laughs> what <you're doing>. yeah. <laughs> Just start there <laughs> yeah a little bit of you know I was going to say fuck the police for the NWA, but there's no guitar in there. <laughs> no acoustic guitar. No, she wrapped her way back in. Yeah. 
That's tough gig. That's t- that's yeah. That's difficult to recover from. Mm. Like full stop for a child, I'd imagine. Yeah. Like if ever. Yeah, and that's the thing. No one knows. And it, again, I said this. I was on um, having a chat years, a couple of years back now with ITV London, and she was particularly unimpressed by me. This woman. No, it wasn't that. Sorry, it was Good Morning Britain. You, you can find it on YouTube. She hated me. She, and I, she was an alien. I don't know what. Actually, I shouldn't really say all this. But she, she was Fucker, from some <laughs> planet android, and um, and it was just, but it was, it was very kind of. I was meant to be a good news story for Christmas Eve. Hey, so oh, you do like mm, clown stuff? I like kids. Oh God, it's so nice. Christmas like, Eve. Well, yeah, I guess it's just as we come to Christmas and we're lining up at shops with our Uncle John and my little sister's name on a presents list. Those same people are lining up in the snow and the rain, hoping that there's enough food left so they can feed their kids that day. And so I kind of feel like rather than be here doing shows for people in Christmas parties in England, I would rather use that energy at least offering my, my, my best offer, which is my profession. She's like, and you could just see her face glaze and think, oh no, <laughs> oh God. But yeah, we, we kind of got down to it a little bit. And, um, oh yeah, as in like not got down to that. <laughs> I don't think. She, I think that's just inappropriate. There's just a, you know, pixelated plastic area <laughs> on Martians. But yeah, um, and it was just that, just that rehumanizing and her going. Oh, I think one of, one of the problems must be that they're bored. I, like, mm, I think they'd quite like to get to a point at the at that time when Les was like. Bored is probably not number one concern. <laughs> if it was on catchphrase, I'd go, eh, eh, and that's not on the top five <laughs> concerns for refugee families in Lesbos yeah. at the minute. I'm worried the kids might be bored. Yeah. Mm, no. Perhaps not. <laughs> but yeah, really tough. Just reframing it all and like, because you just can't get your head around it. That's, I mean, even now when I know them, I still can't get my head around uh, what they're good for. So that's what I was coming to. So what I said to her when we were chatting is it was obviously kind of, a more UK-focused message. So I said, well, even if you just want to look, this is why I say it's beyond politics, even if you just want to look from a domestic security point of view, or by which you can mean England or you can mean Europe, whichever you want, the, we have a problem in all major religions and all major groups of fanaticizing, you know, mm. radicalization. And we always use that when it's to do with Islam, but there are radical Christians, there are radical, you know, the Rohingya uh, crisis in Myanmar was carried out by Buddhists. So like you find any large scale organized group and there's a fanatical element to it. If we're not wise enough to see that having 100,000 people who have asked us to give them refuge while their country's at war, mistreated, underfed, pushed around, really disrespected, dis- their children disrespected. You know, I'm not a father, but I've spoke to my brother about this. He's like, if someone said something, if someone shoved my kid, mm. woe betide what would happen next, you know. Yeah. They've been forced to endure that. And these kids grow up being not wanted, being unwelcomed, being unvalued and being uncared for. Just from that domestic point of view, what sort of 21-year-olds are they going to be? Mm, yeah. Well, now you're 21. You're in Germany. Do you fancy getting a job on the bins? Do you want to, you know, see if you can get in the retail business? Mm. You know, fancy doing some catering? You know, you know if, if you're going to create a vulnerable, super vulnerable psyche that has never felt wanted and these clever, deceptive, horrific, manipulative... And just like unjust, you know, yeah. ...exploiters, which yeah. is what these radicalizers are, you know, they are they are open wounds yeah. that the band-aid of revenge or radicalization could be a very easy and, and tempting fix for. Mm. You know, like just from that perspective, 
it doesn't do good to leave people broken and uncared for. Yeah, regardless of religion and politics. Yeah. That that still remains the truth, right? Exactly. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, whichever way we look at it. Yeah. You know, economics, cool. Every single time there's been a huge migration to a country, the country booms. G Germany, you know, now they're having a bit of a, a wobble, but it's, it's not linked to the migrant crisis. And people yeah. talk about, like, mig mig migration almost never brings... Uh, any sort of financial uh, reduction. So, do you think it's that the, in the press we get, we almost always get to see like the one-off incidents of like rape or like murder or that that get pinned on yeah. illegal immigrants. Of course, and, and, and of course. So that like you've got like however many million Sun readers that are being fed this one mm. narrative. Yeah, of course. And the thing is, and this is it, like. Any profession anywhere in the world has got good and bad people in it. Mm. You know, there, there are rapists walking in, in, in every guise that you can imagine. Yeah. So, yeah. like, it, it's a nonsense to do it that way. But what, what we do with migration, in my opinion, is it, it's an easy scapegoat, isn't it? It always has been. When I grew up, it was people from Pakistan. That, that was the one. That was the problem. And then it was Polish. And then it's, now it's Romanian. Now it's Syrians. And then, like, it, there's always someone to blame for the fact that there is uh, economic issues in the country. There's a, a huge pay divide between the rich and poor. There's mass unemployment caused by, um, you know, I say the selling off of, of the industrial, uh, uh, re, uh, what's the word, trades and all of our um, business in the in, in here at home. We've got the banks were deregulated and that meant they could do what they wanted and then they collapsed and then we had to blame someone and so we did austerity which affects the same people who lost their jobs <laughs> yeah. anyway and yeah. then you go you know how you're suffering and your kids go to a crap school it's because of immigrants they go what <laughs> fuck i hate immigrants and it's that simple like it's yeah. it's and i hate to say it no i'm i actually well i probably would vote green if i had if, if i voted uh, if i voted for someone that i'd want probably I'll go Labour just to keep out the Tories because the Tories are behind a lot of this. You know, it is, they represent a, a pay grade that most of us aren't in. Yeah. And they represent a pay grade and, and support and pass legislation and make moves to enshrine the survival of that pay grade. And actually, like, we should be talking about the lowest earners of society. You know, you've got people, the one that gets me at the minute, I heard this yesterday, is uh, in work poverty. So you've got a job, you might even have two. But you, you you live in poverty, so you go to food banks. You got like nurses using food banks. Mm. Like you you are a, a a fractured society if you've got your nurses going to food banks yeah. whilst your politicians take a fifteen percent pay rise and have, you know, they never. How many went to prison for the expenses scandal? One was it? Two, three? Alan Shearer was talking about hardly that any of them. Actually, he was doing quite a good um, uh, talk about how. Um, in business, if you lie or make a massive fuck up or whatever, oh, that banking, you're re really the, held, the really held course, accountable, yeah. and you'll yeah. be sacked or your business will go bust or whatever. And then comparing that to the politicians and this whole Brexit nonsense, mm. and just how they're just not accountable for no. anything. And the banks, we bailed them out. Mm. You know, RBS got a huge bank in, they've got a huge bailout, and still made losses, and still gave. And and I'm, I can say it now because I don't work for the company anymore. I used to work for a big company that did work for uh, doing events and things. Uh, big scale corporate events. The year after RBS were bailed out, we did a job for them for their Christmas party that went in in excess of a hundred thousand pounds for two two hour Christmas parties for the employees' kids. Two hundred grand 
for essentially four hours. And that was when we had just as a country bailed them out. And then we bail them out. We're in huge deficit. And I say, we, we then go, what do we do? Well, let's take them spare bedrooms off disabled people. They don't need them. Mm. Let's shut down the uh, forest car parking at New Forest. <laughs> like, what on earth? You know, it's all, I said this when Romanians are coming over, um, when, as in when the law changes so they could come without their papers. If you've got three Romanians working on a building site for, for, for peanuts, and that meant that the English guy who used to have that job doesn't have it anymore. There's only one person at fault. And it's the guy that pays peanuts to three rather than decent wages for everybody. Yeah. So it's the person who owns the construction company that we should be pointing our fingers at. It's not migration policy. We've, taken, we've had our very decent cut from having uh, you know, Romania in the EU and Bulgaria in the EU. 32 million extra people joined. And they bought our chocolate bars and they bought our sugar and they bought our whatever. Mm. You know, it, it, it works. There's only one person at fault. It's a person who's exploiting low-paid labour. You know. But what about his? Um, what about his standpoint? What about what if he's doing that to keep his business afloat? Because his overheads, he can't afford to keep his overheads. Exactly. Going in so it all feeds in and feeds in. But so, they, so then we go. Okay, so we kind of trace it back. Too much tax. Yeah. Okay, why? Because of austerity, which means that we have to tax levy fuel more because the, the Saudis have upped the barrel price. Oh, well, that's a whole other. But we still sell weapons to the Saudis. Right? We're okay with that. Okay, cool. Mm. Just checking, you know. Yeah. It's, it's bonkers. It all, but it all go, but I, think, I think my point is that it all goes up to a, to a group that almost never get the blame. You know, when you actually look at it, but on the on the surface level, we all put the fingers at the ones that are probably the least to blame. Yeah, like Romanians and who have use the their most rights. right to be angry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been to Romania many, many, many times. There isn't work because Europe removed it. You know, if you, now if you want work, you've got to. Most of the time, you know, in the villages or whatever, you'll go and you'll work in a in a big factory, big warehouse, the European sweatshops. And you, and you look at a product and it says made in the EU and you go, oh, that's all right then. No, it's fine. It was made in the EU. Okay, cool. But in a huge warehouse where no one's regulating the working hours or conditions. Same with the meat. Yeah. You know, the Dutch, I've read about the company, they breed pigs. In, in mainland Europe, apart from like three countries, you're not allowed. There's like a limitation on how much you can inject meat with steroids and growth hormones and what have you. So they birth them in Denmark or wherever it is send them to Romania where they haven't got those rules in place because the EU didn't enforce them, which is handy, isn't it, for the EU? And then they pump the pigs full of get big stuff and then they bring them back to Denmark where they kill them. So they'll say raised and butchered in Denmark, right. which they were. True, yeah. like the, um, the fighters get busted for drugs and go and fight in Japan because there's no steroid regulations over there. Like, yeah, that's oh, true. They just keep going over here then. You mentioned the earlier about Primark. Right, and I, I went in. This sounds really snobby, but I'd never, I hadn't been in. I went to my first Primark visit not so long ago. You spit on it every time you walk past. I think. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I just couldn't. It was amazing, like the, the amount of clothes you can get for like that little amount of money. But mm. there was there were t-shirts in there for thirty p. Really? Yeah, thirty p. Yeah. Like just a white t-shirt, thirty p. Jesus. And I and I said to um to Liz, I was with, I was like, how the fuck? Like even like even if people are being paid peanuts for it, like mm. not even peanuts. Like, how are they making t-shirts? For, like, with all of the expenses that go into running a business like that, and yeah. 
the the materials and the shipping and like how they they must be it must be like such a tiny like mm. tiny amount of money that they're being paid yeah i mean i mean how are they doing that 30p i think that about audi as well though when you look at the prices of some of their stuff it's like how are you Man, how do you make any margin? Where's the margin there? Mm. There must be. There must well, I guess be. It, you know. If the thing is, if it's a slim margin on huge amounts of units, you it's make money. Monster, don't you? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like Primark sells lots of white t-shirts. Yeah. But and, and even Sold the, the, the t-shirt day. might be uh, <laughs> might be a loss leader. Just well, to get yeah. you in, and then you buy a pair of tracky right. bottoms. Yeah, and they're well, four yeah. quid. Yeah. But I tell you, I was, I was having, you know. I was having this discussion about Primark and I do have, I don't have to be careful I don't care anyone who shops in Primark has done in my opinion a it's choice okay. that favoured their own desires over the ethics of the product yeah we all do it all the time when we fill our car up when we fucking do anything but I was having a chat with my friend about it she was like and we're in a wine bar in Clapham and she's bought around and I've bought around and both glasses of wine were probably six pounds each because it's a wine bar in Clapham mm. and she was going Ash the thing is Glug, glug. I just can't afford to buy cloves. So I said, well, you've got fucking 12 pounds worth of red wine in your belly. You could have had six pounds worth of red wine and spent six pounds more on a pair of tracky bottoms. And eventually, the thing is, if, it's, again, it's all these ide- ideologies, isn't it? If we all did it for just a little bit of time, the nicer companies would sell enough units to be able to bring their overall cost down so we could start to have decent products for a reasonable price. Because that's the other thing, like, it's fair enough. That I'm, a, I'm a vegan at the minute, and I bought this, this vegan bacon in this posh supermarket around the corner for me, and it's £5.40 for six rashers. That's a lot. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I haven't eaten bacon for, I don't know, 18 years, so I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, but <laughs> it, it feels good, yeah. and it's smoky and nice. But £5.40 is too much. If they sold enough... You know, if lots of people went, yeah, we're not going to buy corn crappy, you know, shit vegan bacon um, or, or in the meat world, we're going to buy decent meat from decent farms. There'd be yeah. more decent farms. There'd be it's less, kind of demand, yeah. you know, and then, and then the cost comes down. I just, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how it's we... How you, it's how you engineer that because like yeah. the masses, you can't... You and, just, and they're all broke. Yeah. You know, me and my bro had this chat. We, we get into this a lot. And he said, the, the truth is there is no ethical consumerism under mm. capitalism because capitalism, the, I, the notion of capitalism is to profit. Yeah. If you don't profit, then it's not capitalism. So like, that, it's it. By its very premise, it's always going to find ways to charge you more than the item is worth. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's not, it's going to no point. <laughs> I can't go, I, that's cost me five pounds. Would you like it five pounds? Yeah. Why did I bother doing that? Yeah. <laughs> Trade, yeah. Could have just left it. Yeah. But if I said, I've got some water, I notice you've got a Fitbit, do a trade. I mean, you'd go, I want more Seems water. Seems legit, than that. yeah. <laughs> but. You've been had. I don't know. I've got, yeah. So you're Going vegan, back vegan to it, at, though. At the moment, was, is that something you've just jumped, jumped I've been into? vegan for a year. Right. Um, but you was vegetarian prior to I've been that, vegetarian right? for 18 years. Right. But like, vegan, just because, again, like, I, I did it on purpose. I watched vegan propaganda films, the really heavy-duty ones. Yeah. And there's three reasons. One, I, I you know, I don't want to get fat. And the cholesterol seems to be an issue with my, my mum, for example, has big issues with cholesterol. My dad's a bit of a, bit of a lump is an understatement. He's round like the sun. And I, so I don't, want, I don't want poor health. And yeah. there's no cholesterol uh, in a plant-based diet, which is yeah. good. To the environment... You know, the meat industry is, meat and dairy industry is just unbelievable its impact on the environment. And I haven't got kids yet, but I wouldn't mind them. 
And I just think, what world are we making? It's full of plastic and pollution and planes and carcinogens. Yeah. And then the third one, just I really like animals. I don't mind anyone who eats an animal. It's up to you. But like, I don't like the way they're treated like a thing. You know, it's like yeah. I've got 20 things. There's 20 mm. chickens. They call them a chicken and kill the chicken and eat the chicken if you want. But it's, 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 it's this isolated trade, yeah. Yeah, unit to trade. And I watched, you see some of the footage, and I know it's purposely made to be shocking. But like, especially the chickens, for example, you think, how, how could you even just sleep after you? Like, if you work in an abattoir, well, if you work in an abattoir, you need a job. So yeah. you do it for the money. But knowing that, like, if you're the guy that made the choice of, do you want the barn doors open or closed? Leave them closed. Mm. It's cheaper. How? Don't know. But it's cheaper. It feels it. It's yeah. definitely cheaper. We're saving money on heating. Shut the barn. Yeah. How many chickens should we put in there? We've got 20. It looks pretty full. Put five more, then I'll need less crepes. It's cheaper. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Capitalism. Yeah. But, it, yeah. but it, it even comes down, it still comes back to the seagull business. Like, you know, the underneath of it all is just like, we can all be kind. We can be decent. We can look after each other. We can treat the animals we intend to eat respectfully and nicely and when we take their lives to nourish our bodies we can acknowledge that exchange mm. like i've always wanted to um not always wanted to but something i've been thinking about recently is going hunting because i'm i'm um definitely thinking about reduce the amount of um meat i'm eating just because i now know that it is legit um making a huge difference to the climate and how heavily we farm everything um and wanted to go hunting just to actually because i've heard about that actually killing an animal you know taking that meat and preparing it yourself and everything mm. it is quite an emotional and spiritual kind of an exchange it's like a lot of gratitude you go through from actually killing the animal and also just to just to not be that person that has no idea where your meat where my meat comes from and no idea what that exchange is because mm. you just pick it up from a bit of plastic off the shelf and that's that's something i've been thinking about yeah there's no meaning like to... in eating meat now like for most people is there like yeah. it's not like no. you're not having to see something die mm. yeah or you're just, not having to kill it with your own hand and even you're going like, hunting yeah, I think just it's, in a packet and like, it's so convenient yeah. you can go into a petrol station and going and hunting like, itself is a bit of a struggle it might, yeah. might take a couple of days to even find an animal and then you would you would always miss as well and I would probably miss <laughs> and, shit. or fall out the tree yeah. or... <laughs> you'd probably end up shooting yourself with a bow and arrow <laughs> then just come home and yeah. go vegan <laughs> yeah yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I, I think we had this, I had a chat from about I don't know, same sort of idea. It was like, I think kids should go to abattoirs in, as school trips. So mm -hmm. like, if you're okay with it, then fine. If you're not, you're not. Like, I, I, I couldn't. I know I wouldn't be able to. I didn't try to sell that to the parents of a school. Yeah, but I'd be, it should be law. I I should be, it should be law. <laughs> Enforced with sniper guns. But Watch no, this. If you, you want to eat it, you have to witness it, its demise. demise. Yeah. You know, that's all. You haven't even got to be the one that does it. I know I wouldn't be able to snap a chicken's head and pull its feathers out. Like uh, that would make me feel terrible. Right. But all right. But if you're okay, if you can watch a chicken have its head snapped and all the feathers pulled out, and go, I'm all right with that. All right, cool. But you should at least know that's what it looks like. Yeah. You know, I was I was in Thai, not Thailand. I was in Sri Lanka on a, on a beach once, and I was with my then girlfriend, and she wanted fish, and I said, I don't eat, I don't eat meat. She was like. Oh, well, that fisherman's just caught one on the line there. That's okay, isn't it? Said, you could eat what you want. I just, I won't join in. I said, but go, go and have a look. So she went over there and he just hoiked out this beautiful, great big fish and it was just on the beach. And he didn't like keep it in a keep net or a bucket. Well, he didn't have a bucket. I was just a, you know, poor Sri Lankan fisherman. So this is on the sand going, 
Man just dying slowly. Dying. And then she came back and went, like she had tears in her eyes. I was like, fucking, Finn. Okay, so we're not going to have fish. Went, no, we're fucking not having any fish. <laughs> but just watching that beautiful fish, like suffocate in the sunshine. Cool. If you're all right with it, fine. Like, I, got, I honestly, like, I, I don't want to eat meat ever. I never will. But if you, if you want to, just you've got to be able to do it. Yeah. You should be able to either do it or at least be willing to, yeah, to don't, watch don't, it and know what it does. Don't hide How do you from, say? You, what do you do? You just from pick up a plastic polystyrene thing and it says breast or leg or... Yeah. What, what even is it? Yeah. It's quite mental chicken. really, isn't it? That, that they're just chopped up into different bits yeah. and put on a shelf. Placed on a shelf. Yeah, and I don't like, like, like spare ribs. I remember when I realised that, and it sounds stupid, but like, when you buy spare ribs, you think, oh yeah, it's the ribs. I thought it was just the name. Yeah. <laughs> it's just called spare, spare ribs. Rib. Oh, I want to get some Chinese spare ribs. Tex-Mex spare ribs. It's not, it's not like them. It's, it's, I mean, they aren't any ribs spare, are they? <laughs> they, they needed all of it's them. just be called ribs. <laughs> yeah. It's just ribs. Why are they called spare, actually? Yeah. Good question. If anyone knows that, you email yeah. us. You let us know. Actually, I've got a butcher in the family, so I should probably just ask him. Yeah. What's next for you? So next up, more of the same. Um, We've got a team leaving for Lebanon tomorrow morning. You so going? I'm not going, no. So I've, uh, I'm making their costumes, which is what I'll do when I did this morning and we'll go back to. I'm making trousers with a sewing machine, which is exciting. Absolutely <laughs> terrible and it's quite stressful and I'm not enjoying it. And I think they're all crap and they're going to fall apart. Um, but yeah, so they're going, they're going to be a team there. I'm going to be going to Greece in two weeks, going back out to Lesbos um, for some time. And then we have the festival season and then more of the same, really. We're sending a team back to Bangladesh. The situation in Bangladesh is horrific on the border of Myanmar. Um, there was a genocide and the refugees are there by hundreds of thousands. You know, it's countless, beyond countless. So so for you guys, it'll be business as usual going. Yeah, I mean, it's think? another culture altogether. We'll have to learn the do's and don'ts and whether they like loud or quiet. Like, you know, you every group there, has yeah. a slightly different, the comedy is always the same. Things work the same, but um, deliveries. in Ghana, when, after every magic trick I did, I then showed them how I did it because... I wanted them to know that magic is not real. Yeah. Like, because there's a lot of exploiting done on the idea of sorcery and witchcraft. Yeah. So I'd do it and go there. They go, oh, you are. I was like, no, no, no. Like this. It's there, you see. And they go, oh, yeah. See, there's no, if anyone who tries to tell you magic's real and asks for money is a crook. That is a fact. Mm. <laughs> magic is entertainment. Yeah. That's all. But um, yeah, so that'd be that one. Blaine. You're listening. And then we just had a phone call with an Italian group. Yeah, David. But he's a good showman, but they're amazing Great showman. Show, like, amazing showman. We are on to you. <laughs> yeah. But the idea of magic is, to, in it, is, to, is to convince someone that something they know is impossible just happened. So like, I can make a coin disappear in front of your eyes and you know that, that, that I didn't make it disappear. You probably know it's in the other hand. But that, that's the joy. That's magic. When you can convince someone yeah. that what they saw is, is possible. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so then maybe there's a group that asked us to come to Libya. There's a group that asked us to go to Sudan. Both of those places we have to wait until, like you said earlier, but until the time is right and mm. not yeah. for our ego. And Ash, how, if people listening wanted to sign up and donate some money, like a monthly amount, is there a way that they can do that online? Yeah, absolutely. It's through the website, which is www.theflyingseagullproject.com. And um, there's a, a, a piece in the banner that says donate. And uh, yeah, that is... Is that the best thing people can do? Is that what... If... Yeah, I mean, 
whatever you have to offer, there's a home for it, yeah. but not all with us. So like we, I was like, yeah, finances are good. If you are a performer or skilled in that way, get in touch. If you're a you know, lawyer or an accountant, whatever, like there's, the more people do that can help us, the less we spend the money on that sort of thing and the more we can focus on the project. Yeah, it's a business. Right? So business. mechanic, if there's a good mechanic, give us a bell because I've got, you know, we do 20, 30,000 miles in each van every year or so. Mm. Yeah. We spend, that's probably my biggest outgoing is fixing yeah. gearboxes and suspension. Any mechanics out there, get in touch. Guns. But yeah, the main thing you can do to help as well is like, I said this again, I was on an interview the other day and I said, what can we do to help? Number one is just like, see, like cherish the lives we have. Like, I know that sounds a bit obvious, but like, I mean, what I mean is that there's no guilt, but like when you get home, don't flick the telly on. Go and talk to your kid for 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour. Like most people will anyway. Yeah. But like, when you, and when you do that, when you sit at the table and you ask your boy, like, how was school today? And he's like, yeah, well, Robert didn't, he took my lunchbox and blah, blah, blah. Classic yeah. Robert. Bloody Robert. <laughs> Robert Cornfoot. Actually, he was nice. Sorry, Corny. He's all right. Having 17 new years, you could be a tyrant now. I don't know. But he was nice then. Who did it? Oh, I can't remember. Gary Earl. <laughs> what are we talking about now? I don't know. <laughs> I'm naming crooks from my school days. All oh, right. But, um, but yeah, the families I work with would give absolutely anything for five minutes to be out in the park on an Easter weekend in the sunshine with their kids with yeah. a frisbee. And it may seem was... like nothing, but that is, if there's ever a richness, if there's ever a reason why we're better off than others, it's not because we've got houses full of heat and though it's nice. And it's not all that stuff we've got and the money we got. It's that we actually get to share our lives peacefully and safely and lovingly with our friends and our family. It's freedom, and it? that's it. That. That is the best thing you can hope for. Yeah. Everything else is nonsense. Your kid will put your iPad down if you make them. Yeah. <laughs> or engage them in a playful way. That's that's the other thing I think that we might have lost. Um, again, it's not everyone, but lost sight of because busy lives, things are you know, are difficult. Um, and sp spending that time, it doesn't have to cost anything, does it? You don't have to take your kids to an organised activity and pay subscriptions and and you know buy them ipads and, and all that no, stuff it can be and you're living proof of this it can be so simple can't it yeah. just just that joyful play with a kid and so important yeah exactly that i mean at the minute i mean you, you, people can email me if you can't afford the book email me and i'll tell you everything that's in it i wrote it so i know <laughs> yeah. but like that's exactly the point it's of the book like, yeah okay <laughs> page words. one are you ready acknowledgement <laughs> <laughs> but uh but the whole book is based on that premise i say i grew up we, we didn't have much money and i had Three brothers, three, two brothers and a sister. And we had loads of fun. You know, yeah. a brick and a plank of wood and, a, and an old bike, whether it's four your hours, size or not. That's, worth, that's yeah. the weekend if you're allowed. That's the thing. Like when I you know, play with, play yeah. with um, my nieces and nephews, you do something so simple. The other day she ran at me and I picked her up above my head and put her down. And then she ran to her dad and he did the same. We was there for probably 45 minutes, both knackered, the kid's still going. How yeah. simple is that? Yeah, but super simple. And even in the, in the car, like I, I see it all the time at the minute, kids on screens in cars. Mm. There's so much you can do in a car. And one of the chapters I is spy. creative car rides. <laughs> I spy is old news. Whoa, sorry. There's, there's hide the shoe. <laughs> hide the shoe is good. So in my head, I hide a shoe. And it's anywhere in history, future, present, fiction, anything, anything. I mean, that must be a long round. But you always get it. <laughs> So one of them was hidden between the number one and the number three in the number 13. That wasn't mine. That was Melody's kid. 
Um, it was one of them was hidden in the bass drum of Led Zeppelin on their US tour. How do we guess? You just get How, there. What? It's always a yes or no. Is okay. it is it real or, bit like or fiction? Twenty questions. Fiction. Right. Is it in a book or a film? Film. Led Zeppelin's drum. There you go. <laughs> See, <Smashed> done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, loads of, and, and like, I don't know, if you're sitting in a doctor's waiting, if you've got a pen and paper, you do that um, where you draw a head and then you fold it over the yeah, next yeah. It's stupid, but like, you know, stupid stuff. Like that, you're like a kid, that. you giggle. Great game. So is, that what, is there stuff like that in the book? Loads of stuff like that in the book, yeah. There's some bigger ones and some smaller ones. Think, but... Where we're so used to relying on, give them a phone, give them an, iP- an iPad, mm. you may be like, if, and if you're not that way inclined, you may be completely all, all out of ideas. I, I don't know. What should we do? Jump on the spot? Like, yeah. you, you need other. I mean, ideas, there's hundreds, right? and, that, and that's exactly why I think Watkins, who are publishing it, asked me to write the book because they were like, they came and saw me at a festival, and I do a bit called the Compendium of Forgotten Games, where I do this whole speech about how computers started off good, but now they're killing us all. Yeah. And then, and then I said, your parents know more games than you do. I don't mean computer games. I mean games. So everyone, shut your eyes, and I do like a silly bit. I go, it's the summer term. Boys, you're wearing scratchy grey shorts and girls, you've got the tablecloth made into a dress. And the rumour is, the grass is dry and we're going to go on the playing field at lunchtime. It's your birthday, so you get to play your favourite game. And that is, open your eyes, Dad, come up here on stage. And the bloke's like, what? Come on, come on, what's your name, little fella? (laughs) Dan, you'll go, Ron. Ron, what's your favourite game? British Bulldog, how do you play it? And then we'll play it. So it's like, we've kind of squeezed that into the thing, uh, into the book. And other ideas are on a Friday night. I don't know. I, I've, again, I think back and the best times of my mum and dad's friends, uh, Dawn and Malcolm or Roy and Carol would come round. And you just had that feeling in the house. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're going to sit longer after dinner at the yeah, table. I'm staying up late. So what? Yeah. And what? And then we might play cards. You might go, should we play a game of cards? There might be some snacks. Like, there might be oh, some crisps. Yeah, bloody <laughs> Bombay mix in a bowl. <laughs> oh, stop. You hate it, but you always try it. Bombay mix. Too Bombay spicy. Mix. Yeah. Cheetos, but like the crap Tesco Valley ones, but your mum does a multi-pack and opens them all up. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, but that feeling, like, that's a good one. Yeah. So yeah, that's in the book. There's a bit called um, Family Comedy Corner. And the idea is that you create a stand-up comedy club in the house. And we do it again at festivals. So the rules are you have to remove the television. And I was like, now, Dad, so I know there's all sorts of new cables we didn't use to have. I don't care. It'll give you something to do on Monday. Take it out. <laughs> you get a bed sheet from the charity shop. And all of you draw it yourself. Family comedy corner. Maybe you do the lettering so it reads. And then everyone colours it in and sticks sequins on and what have you. And then once a month or every couple of months, everybody gets to invite two mates. Not like your friend's parents, like two mates, your proper mates, your mates from here. And everyone gets to bring them and everyone gets to choose one item of food, whatever you want. If you like baked kale, fine. If you want a stuffed crust pizza, whatever you want. And then there's like a little set bit of script you have to do. My name is Charlie and I've got a joke to tell. And everyone says, oh, yeah. And you go, yeah. And it goes like this. And then you, t- and you say, yeah, and it goes like this. And you're meant to try and do it in a New York accent. And then you tell a joke. And then everyone has to take part. So the grown-ups, you know, you've got two weeks to prepare or however long it is. And you're going to have two or three jokes each. You get a fake microphone which you can just cut off. You know, I've got a template you can cut out. And then you film it. You put the, but you don't like sit with your phone like that. You put a camera up there and you film the whole evening. You, your wife, her best mate getting a knock-knock joke wrong and everyone laughing and just having like a yeah, decent, yeah. Fr- what is it? A bed sheet, two quid from the charity shop with some felt-tip pens. <clears throat> That's all. And then here it is. So then afterwards, one of you, ever's tech clever, edits that down into each video. And when you're driving home from work and you've had a stressful day and you're like, God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. The take the end of the year's here and we've, we've made a loss and blah, blah, blah. You stop before you get home, 100 meters minimum down the road so they can't see you out the window. 
and you get your phone and you pull up last month's Family Comedy Corner and you watch your little girl tell her joke and how she's staring right at you the whole time. Yeah. And you watch your wife who pissed you off this morning telling that joke and being so gorgeous and so silly and so lovely and all the things you love about her and, and hate about her and, and vulnerable and bossy and all those things. Yeah. And, you, and you, you watch the best bit of the life you've, you've built yourself. And why did you go to work? To make the money to help keep hold of that life and to have that lovely time of your family. Yeah. And then you go, now am I, what energy am I going to take into my house when I get Start home? Start crying. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> you walk in the door like, well, shopping. Yeah, I just exactly. love you, that's all. But wouldn't <laughs> that be nice? Yeah, yeah You get home that's and you amazing. go, oh, I don't. And you, and you do, like, you remember fucking why it's all about in the yeah. first place. Which is easy to lose sight of in things you're talking about, like the yeah. stress of, of your job or sickness, whatever. Mm. And your best mates, imagine on that night as well, oh, phone's off. Apart from the filming, your phones mm. are off and in another room. Yeah. And imagine like, I don't know how I job, I think it was kind of similar-ish aging. Like, I don't get that many nights where me and my mates will sit and have a laugh like we used to. Stag mm. do's, the occasional birthday. Yeah. There's other stuff going on, but like, your phone's off, you're sat there, your mate who you've known since they were 15, that's him at 38, and he's got his wife and his two kids playing with your two kids, and you go, and they're it's up and fucking we're all right. yeah. And it doesn't matter if you eat in Tesco Value pizza or if you've got Domino's in, like, you know, it doesn't matter what pocket of yeah. coin you've got. Don't invite the kale guy, but sure. No. Yeah. Or put the oven up <laughs> too high if it burns quick. Yeah. yeah what a spoiler. <laughs> what a spoiler. I do, I do say junk food, but, you know, I'm, you guys look healthy, so I can't just say no, chips worry. and kebab. Don't worry, we can eat junk food with the best of them. But. It's that, returning to simple. You're only alive, what we've got, 80 years if we're lucky, 90 if we're exceptional. Which is an adult's version of simplicity. Play. It's, it's yeah. an adult a version of what you're doing with the kids at camps, isn't it? It's yeah. joyful play. Yeah, simple, honest, just you. You might not even be very funny. In fact, the best ones are when you get a kid come up and go, um, why? And chicken was uh, with the donkey. I don't know why chicken the donkey. Can they, yeah. And they Isn't do that. that. Just oh, that remember it's you there going. Ah, oh, it's so sweet. Yeah. And then sometimes they'll go, "Why did the chicken?" And they'll get into like they all get they always get a theme. So one will be like, one year it was chickens. Every kid was like, "Why did the chicken go to the chicken?" Because he's a chicken. Got him. Cool. <laughs> nice. But you fake laugh long enough and it yeah, becomes yeah. real anyway. And, yeah. and anyway, if it's your little lad and he's four, and that you don't care that, if his joke makes sense or not. It doesn't yeah. have to be, it makes sense to be funny. That moment that you watch and it. chills you out and yeah. some of the other stress falls There's away, loads of that in the book. But as I say, if, if people are a bit skint, then drop me a line anytime. Ash at the Flying Seagull Project and I'll... Tell you all. Tell you that and a whole load Ash, of... Ash, I think, mate, you, you're doing such an inspirational thing and like so selfless and amazing. I think you, you're a like, genuinely amazing bloke. Cheers, man. Appreciate yeah. that. I, I mean that. That's blowing my mind a little bit. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That's a proper proper pursuit you've got there. And I love how you're not fussed about all that political side of things. And I'm sure, like you've discussed now, you have got views on it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because there are people out there that really could do with a smile or two. And, and I think mm. you're, you're doing that really well. So kudos to you and, and your whole team as well. So Nice one. Thank you very please much. Please check them out. Flying Seagull Project. Wicked. Thanks, Ash. So there you go. That was Ash. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Thanks again so much to Ash for coming on. Um, please check out Ash a bit further. Give him a Google um, and then the Flying Seagull Project will come up. Um, Ash's TED Talk should also come up, The Power of Play. Have a watch of that. It's really good. Ash does a 
great job of delivering what I think his message is all about. And anything you can do if you want to help, head over to his website. Also get a copy of his book out early May, The Real Play Revolution. If you find yourself like me struggling for decent ideas to keep kids entertained and engaged um, by all, all I've usually got is just by hitting myself in the head with an inflatable object and then letting them do the same and then that'll keep them entertained for hours but if you want something a bit more creative a bit more fun for yourself to engage with them check this book out it's amazing it's got loads of really cool games in it that i think uh you'd love and the small people in your life in your lives would love as well so um yeah that's my takeaway please help ash out please help out the flying seagull project don't grow up, it's a trap. Keep laughing, keep it silly, keep it playful and we'll see you next time.